Let's open up now in God's Word. We are now in Revelation chapter 19. We continue our consecutive study of the book of Revelation. Only four chapters left uh, in this book, and glorious chapters they are. Uh, We come today to Revelation chapter 19. Our text today is going to be just verses 1 through 5. Verses 1 through 5, it's really a piece with what comes after uh, through verse 10, but there is just so much good stuff here that I've broken it up into a couple of sermons. So today, again, uh, Revelation 19 uh, and verses 1 uh, through 5, you'll recall that verse, uh, chapters 17 and 18 uh, record for us the identity and ultimately the destruction of Babylon, which represents worldliness. And we see that all the kingdoms and societies of this world which are uh, set against the Lord will ultimately come to nothing. And it is the Lord and the Lord alone who will reign to all eternity. And so the wails and the weeping of this world at Babylon's destruction that we saw in chapter 18 are now going to be matched by the songs of rejoicing and of praise that come out of heaven in Revelation chapter 19. Let's now hear God's word, uh, Revelation 19, in verses uh, 1 through 5. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Well, this ends this reading in God's word. Uh, Let's now uh, look to the Lord our God in uh, prayer. Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great song of heaven that we have heard today, a song which the angels in the church that has gone before is singing, a song of praise to your name. And we pray, O Lord, our God, that as we think on these things today, that our own spirits would be lifted, that we might heed the cry that we're given to praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Lord, bless this proclamation of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Uh, amen. Well, the date is March uh, 23rd, uh, 1743, and uh, Handel's Messiah is sung. Great chorus begins to be sounded forth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. And at this hallelujah chorus, King George II, who was in attendance that day, stood. To this day, it is customary that at the sounding of the hallelujah chorus, that those in attendance would stand. Well, why was it that King George of England stood? Well, it perhaps was. He never actually gave explanation for it. Perhaps was that he had been moved by great emotion on that day. I think perhaps, and much more tellingly, it was because he realized that he was a king over an earthly nation, was himself a subject of a greater king, the Lord our God, the Almighty, who reigns. And at that moment, King George II was nothing but a subject of this one who reigns forever and ever. Well, the words of Handel's Messiah, or uh, uh, of Handel's uh, Hallelujah chorus, are drawn from this chapter out of the book of Revelation. It is here that we read several times of these songs that take place in heaven of hallelujah of the Lord our God, as we'll see next week in verse 6, the Lord our God, the Almighty, He uh, reigns. This word hallelujah is a word that is a Hebrew word, but it is transliterated. You know that the New Testament is a book that is written in Greek. Uh, But here is a transliteration of this Hebrew word. The word hallel means to praise. Yah is Yahweh, or uh, the Lord. So it's a word which simply means uh, to praise Yahweh. The Lord. It's found several times in the book of Psalms. In fact, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 are called the Hallel Psalms. 24 different times in the book of Psalms is this phrase, Hallelujah, uh, heard. But do you know that in the entire New Testament, it is actually only here in Revelation 19 that we have the word Hallelujah. I didn't realize that until uh, studying these verses. Uh, this, this week. But here alone in the New Testament are these words sound, found so frequently in the Psalter repeated, Hallelujah, or praise the Lord. And it shows us that this song in heaven is reaching, as it were, this, uh, this pitch, this fever pitch of praise and adoration of Almighty God. And as we have seen in the book of Revelation, that where we see songs of heaven uh, that are that are that are uh, sung. It ought to inform the kind of praise that we offer now as well. So that's how I want us to study this uh, passage today. We're going to look first of all. We're going to see hallelujahs for God's saving attributes. 
Secondly, hallelujahs for God's righteous judgments. And then thirdly, hallelujahs from God's redeemed people. So in verse 1, we will see hallelujahs for God's saving attributes. In verses 2 and 3, hallelujahs for God's righteous judgments. And then finally, in verses 4 and 5, we will see hallelujahs from God's redeemed people. Whenever the Bible calls us to worship the Lord, it always gives us reasons for which we ought to praise Him. And it's no less the case here in Revelation 19, as first of all, we're going to see hallelujahs for God's saving attributes. Hallelujah, this loud voice cries. This heavenly song cries out. And then it goes on to give reasons for which we ought to praise God. There are three of them given in verse 1. Three things which uniquely belong to God. And it first of all says, Hallelujah, because salvation belongs to our God. You and I ought to praise God because He is the God of our salvation. How uh, wonderful it was that we read earlier today out of Jonah chapter 2. Jonah's words, salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's indeed what those uh, uh, saints in heaven are crying out as well. That salvation alone, or that, that the Lord alone accomplishes salvation. He alone brings salvation to his people. And isn't that true? As we think of every aspect of our salvation, that we say from beginning to end, it is the work of the Lord. It is the Lord who chose me in eternity, long before I ever was born, and set his love upon me. It was the Lord who sent the Lord Jesus Christ into this world to become incarnate for my sake. It was his work. It was only the Lord who went to the cross, the Lord Jesus who did it, willingly suffering, sacrificing himself for my sake. It was by the Lord's power alone that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. It is by the Lord's sovereign grace alone that this salvation comes into my experience. It is the Lord who regenerates my dead and stony heart. It is the Lord who forgives all of my sin and credits Christ's righteousness to me. It is the Lord who adopts me as his child. It is the Lord who by his Spirit sanctifies me and cleanses me, gives me a new heart, that desires to please him. It is the Lord who will preserve me and keep me from all evil. And it is the Lord who one day will glorify me in his presence. So that you and I can say, dear friends, from beginning to end, salvation is entirely of the Lord. I have no good thing in myself. There is no aspect of my salvation that I have contributed to. But it is all of the Lord. So you and I shall never tire in all eternity singing forth these words, Hallelujah, salvation belongs to our God. But not only is it salvation which belongs to Him, but secondly, it is power, or excuse me, it is glory. It is glory. 
salvation and glory belong to our God. We ought to praise the Lord as the Lord of glory as well. In the Old Testament, the word kabod is a word which means heaviness or weightiness. The idea is, is that it is God alone who has substance or weightiness. You think about it, the, the world, people in this world try to find significance or weightiness in all of the things of the world. But, but the things of this world can't bear that kind of weight. Okay? Basketball is a great sport, but it makes a really lousy God. And we could say the same thing about any number of things which people try to find significance or meaning in. I chose one that I like. (laughs) But find anything else. We can receive the things of this world as good gifts from God. But the moment that we try to worship those things or find ultimate significance in them, we find that they cannot bear that weight. But do you know that you and I cannot give too much significance to God Because he alone, as it were, can bear the weight of all of our worship. Okay, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, said the writer to Ecclesiastes, concerning the things of this world. It is ephemeral, it is weightless, it is passing. But the Lord and he alone is glorious and majestic. And so in eternity, dear friends, we will continue to shout hallelujahs for the glory of our God. And we will never be able to fully exhaust the depth of his being. To this God belongs all salvation and glory. But the third thing for which they praise him is his power as well. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong Uh, to our God. And again, we live in a world, do we not, that is obsessed with power. There's power grabbing everywhere we, we look. The governments of this world seek for increased power, power over their people, power over other peoples as well. The media has power. The entertainment industry, power. Financial markets seem to exercise some kind of power as well over the lives of people. But friends, we can acknowledge that though uh, this world chases after power in a variety of ways, that our God is more powerful yet. That our God is the one who has all power in his hand. Think of it in its Old Testament context, right? Egypt, the most powerful nation of the world, enslaved the Israelites. But what happened at that Red Sea? Oh, dear friends, the Lord himself split that water that the people of Israel might escape. And then he drowned those powerful Egyptians with all of their horses and chariots so that they were able to sing that in Exodus 15 and verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds? doing wonders. Compared to Egypt, the Lord was far more glorious and powerful in the wonders that he performed. Well, you and I, 
can say the same thing today, that this God of the Exodus is the same God who on that third day raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead in the greatest act of power that there ever has been. That he, the head of this new humanity, now lives and rules and reigns, and the very power that raised him is now at work in you and I who believe. To this God belongs all power, and by the Lord's power, He is remaking us as new creatures in Jesus Christ and will one day bring us into his glory. All power, power that is greater than any powers of this world belong to him. And that's why when we feel oppressed under the powers of this world, you and I can delight that we serve the God who is yet more powerful still. We never ultimately despair. And so the song of heaven is the song that should come from our lips as well. Hallelujah! We have a God to whom all salvation, to whom all glory, to whom all power belong. It's to Him. And that's a reason to rejoice. So we see, first of all, these hallelujahs for God's saving attributes. But now, secondly, as we consider this song of heaven, I want us to consider hallelujahs for God's righteous judgments. Hallelujahs for God's righteous judgments. For in the same way that God is to be praised as a God of salvation, we see in verses 3 and 4 that God is also to be praised as a God of judgment. And indeed, have we not been reading in Revelation 17 and 18 about Babylon, the spirit of worldliness that sets itself against the Lord and tempts and corrupts many people uh, in its path? Well, the good news of Revelation 19 is that this world comes under the judgment of Almighty God. That the Lord's judgments are both true and just. That is, the Lord's judgment against Babylon is true. That is, it is according to truth. That the Lord has an accurate understanding of this world in its wickedness. That the Lord knows all of the thoughts, all of the actions, all of the words of this sinful world. Nothing escapes his eye. His judgment is according to truth. And it is just. That is, it is proper and righteous. That the Lord's sentence is never too harsh and it's never too lenient. That the Lord in the midst of this wicked world exercises above it a judgment that is both true and just. And we read here that he indeed has judged this great prostitute, Babylon, and all who really in their unrepentance cling to the ways of this world. Well, what is it that this Babylon has done? Well, notice it's true and just judgment here, that it has done two things. It's corrupted the earth with her immorality, That is, the Lord has a proper understanding of sin. Uh, The world winks at sin, but the Lord doesn't. The Lord 
recognizes that here in all of its idolatry, all of its greed, all of its sexual immorality, all of its selfishness, all of its covetousness, all of its lies, that these are things which are against the Lord and against his holy law. And the Lord sees immorality for what it is. And it brings it all under judgment. How important it is that you and I don't have our view of sin shaped by what the world thinks is sinful or what is all right. The world winks at sin. The world doesn't think much of it. Friends, we need to have our view of sin judged by what the Holy Scripture says, by what the law of God says. Here we see that all of this world's immorality comes under the judgment of Almighty God. So Babylon has corrupted the earth with her immorality, but then she as well uh, has shed the blood of God's servants. We read that the Lord has avenged on her the blood of his servants. That is, this world is that which has often opposed the way of God uh, by persecuting the church. Throughout the world today, there are Christians who are imprisoned. There are Christians who have been put to death. There are Christians who have been kicked out of their families. There are Christians who have had various economic pressures placed upon them for the sake of Jesus Christ. In this world today, there are Muslim governments which have criminalized Christianity. There are communist governments which view Christianity as a threat to the state and thus seek to control it like they control everything else. There are secular governments which actively promote worldly ideology and seek to mold Christians into that other form. Oh, friends, there, are, uh, there is in this world a spirit of opposition to the church and to the kingdom of Christ, but the good news is, is that the Lord sees it all. He ultimately will avenge the shed blood of his servants. The world does not have the final uh, say. And so the Lord's judgments against this world are indeed true and just for her immorality and for her shedding of uh, Christian's blood. But then we go on in verse 3 to see that this judgment against Babylon is a judgment not only for a time but for eternity. They cry out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Uh, The imagery is uh, the same imagery that we find of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 and verse 28, uh, where it says that Abraham looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so Abraham saw Sodom and Gomorrah judged by Almighty God. And here it's saying that what happened to that worldly city happens to the worldly city uh, of, uh, uh, throughout all of history, that ultimately its smoke goes up and it is for not a time only, but forever and ever. Dear friends, this verse is ultimately pointing us to the reality of hell, is it not? It is the same thing that is described in, Genesis, or in, in Revelation 20 and verse 10 as the place where the devil is going to be thrown and the beast 
and the false prophet are where they will be tormented, or the lake of fire and sulfur where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And in Revelation 20 and verse 15, where we read that if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that he also is thrown into that lake of fire. That here we have the eternal judgment of God against all worldliness, against all of those who have not been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, We face pressures in our day as a Christian church to downplay the doctrine of hell and the judgment of God. Can't we have a Christianity without hell, we're told? Do we really need it? Well, dear friends, if we have a Christianity without hell, what we are doing is a number of things. We are, on the one hand, undermining the holiness of God, as if he is not really that holy after all. If we have a Christianity without hell, we are minimizing the work of Christ, because what did Christ do in going to the cross? But to suffer hell for you and for me. A Christianity without believing in hell cheapens our evangelism. What is it that we're trying to save people from? And ultimately, dear friends, a Christianity without believing in hell is unfaithful to the truth of God's word. Because we read in the scriptures that God is indeed a God of judgment. And friends, we read here that this is one of the things that we can praise and adore Almighty God for, that he is indeed a God of judgment. But you ask, how is it, how can I... How can I, on the one hand, have the attitude of these saints in heaven praising God, hallelujah, for the judgment that he brings, while at the same time weeping over a world that is lost, longing for them to come to salvation? The answer is simply this, that you can do both, because many others have, well, have as well. The Apostle Paul said, oh, that I myself were, could be accursed cut off from God for my kinsmen according to the flesh. And yet Paul surely is among those, even now, who is singing the praises of God for his righteous judgments. Or a David who cried out, Absalom, Absalom, my son Absalom. And yet David surely is now in glory praising God for his righteous judgments. Is it not the case even that our Lord Jesus Christ wept over the city of Jerusalem? And yet is it not the very wrath of the Lamb that this world is facing? So friends, you and I can and rightly ought to weep over this lost world, longing for its salvation, crying out, O Lord, save a people for your glory. And yet at the same time, we can take great joy that there is a God of justice and of truth who ultimately will do right. And ultimately, dear friends, all that opposes the Lord and his ways will not have the last word. The Lord will not be brought down from his throne. The Lord will not change. But he will reign forever and ever. And for that, we can give great praise to God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord's righteous judgment. Well, if we are to praise God for his saving attributes, if we are to praise God for his righteous judgments, 
We now come thirdly and finally today uh, to this. And that is, hallelujahs from all His redeemed people. For in verses 4 to 5 here, we have a cry that goes out to you and to me to be among those who are offering this kind of praise uh, to Almighty God. We read in verse 4 then, that the 24 elders, do you remember them from earlier in Revelation? At the time I said that this represents really the redeemed church. Uh, The 12 tribes of the Old Testament, the 12 apostles of the new, representing the church of the old and the new covenant, surrounding the throne now and giving praise to God. And these four living creatures uh, seem to represent uh, uh, angelic Beings, a kind of order of angels representing the angelic host. And so here we have the redeemed church and the angels together crying out and saying, Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, can you hear it around, around the throne? Their cries going out to the Lord. And then we are told suddenly, verse 5, a voice. A voice from the throne. Whose voice is this? We, we, we don't know uh, necessarily. But it's from the throne, which means that this is a voice that is coming, speaking with all the authority of, of God Himself. And this voice now comes to us. And it says, as you hear the, the worship of these 24 elders and of the four living creatures, It says to us, essentially, won't you join in as well? Won't you give praise? Praise our God, all you his servants. You who fear him, small and great. These words, as it were, break into our world and they remind us, friends, who it is that we really are. Because of who we are, we ought to give praise to him. What does it call us? It says to praise him. You, who who are who? You, his servants. All you, his servants. The word is doulos. It's a word which means slave. It reminds us that you and I, if we have been redeemed by God, are now the possession of Almighty God. We belong not to ourselves, but to Him. We are doubly His. He created us. And now He has redeemed us by the blood of His precious Son. So who are you in your your identity? Who is it that you are? You are a servant of God. You belong to Him. And as one who so belongs to God, He says, it is your duty and privilege to praise Him. Do you realize that's who you are? You are his possession. You are not your own children. Do you realize that? As your life, as it were, stands ahead of you and you have lots of choices, lots of exciting things that might happen in your future. And it's good to be excited about life in God's world. Do you realize, though, above everything else, with my future ahead of me, oh Lord, might it be that I am your servant. I belong to you. Everything that I do, Whatever job I'm going to have, whatever life I'm going to live, Lord, I want to do it as your servant. All you his servants, 
But not only are we his servants, but then it says as well, you who fear God, you who fear him. That we are to be those who fear God. Not a kind of servile terror, but rather a kind of seriousness, a reverence as we worship God. Elsewhere, the the scriptures call us to worship God with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And that's the idea here. We're his servants. We belong to him. We fear him. That is, we reverence this God. And so we are to worship him. But then it calls us as well, not only as his servants, as those who fear God, but it calls us to worship him both small and great. Small and great. Okay, that is in the human categories that we have. I wonder, does... Is that category, are you in some other category than that? You're either small or you're great or you're somewhere in between. And the Bible says no matter what you are, you are to worship this Lord and give him praise. Whether you are the president or the king, whether you're royalty, whether you have millions upon millions in your bank account, you own businesses galore, whether you have Uh, employee upon employee that does your beck and call, or if you have nothing in your bank account and you have nobody that does your beck and call and you barely have a dollar to your name, whether you are male or whether you are female, whether you are old or whether you are young, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or you've been a Christian for 50 hours, command is, both small and great, you come and worship this Lord. That's why George II stood when the Hallelujah Chorus was sung. He was one of those, either small or great, that was called to worship this God. And so, dear friends, the call here is for you and for me to participate in this heavenly worship. You know, often our worship on earth seems uh, rather poor and meager. But you and I need to remember that when we worship God, we worship the Lord as part of the church. The church across the ages and across locations encompassing both heaven and and earth. You are part of the church of Jesus Christ, which is giving praise to his name. And that means that when we as West Springfield Covenant Community Church lift up our praises to God, it is not just our praises that come to the throne, but rather our praises mingle with the praises of the saints, both in heaven and on earth, in giving praise to God. Actually, Bruce Jacobs, just a a couple of, a few weeks ago, sent me an email with this quote from an article. And it said this. It said that when we uh, give the call to worship, uh, we do not start the worship service, but we step into it. And I think that is just beautiful. You and I are really stepping into this worship that is going on, and what worship it is. I mean, did you read the description in verse 1? 
I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. And then what we're going to read, verse 6 next week, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder uh, crying out. I mean, can, can your mind... Get around the greatness of this praise that is being offered. I mean, think of the, the grandest choir that you have ever heard sing praise. And then add to that the, the most glorious sound of a rushing waterfall that you've ever heard. And then that majestic sound of, of loud uh, thunder. Okay? And then you can uh, 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 lift upon that... Uh, 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 maybe the, the, the sound of a, of a cheering crowd or whatever glorious sound that it's saying. You, you combine all of these things and it, it's only a comparison. It, it's only a way that we in our finitude is trying to describe the greatness. It says what seemed to be, that's all it is, because it's so much greater, is that voice of praise to Almighty God. Now, if you were to ask the question, um, what big, spectacular, grand event which will occupy the interest and attention of millions and millions of people is going on today? The answer that you're going to get from most people is the Super Bowl. Dear friends, I can tell you that there is a big, spectacular, grand event that occupies the interest and attention of millions, that makes the Super Bowl seem like a little elementary school football game compared to what is going on in heaven. Friends, this, this is the real area of interest. This is what really matters. It's the praise of Almighty God. And what you and I need to be able to do is, as it were, to lift up the veil and that's what Revelation is doing. It's lifting off the veil. It doesn't allow us yet quite to, to, to see into heaven and to experience it. We will someday. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. It's to join the church triumphant. But for now, friends, we are as it were lifting the veil and gazing into heaven and hearing these loud hallelujahs to the Lamb. And praising Him that He is the God who reigns. Can you and I enter into something of that praise and that glory even now? Can I encourage you to be a person whose first response to God is a response of worship? That you would go through your days singing praise to God. As you go through your ordinary work day to day, sing praise to the Lord. Sing songs of praise to Him. When you gather with your families for worship, when you gather with God's people for worship, lift up your voice because in doing so, you are joining that heavenly company. I encourage you who are young, children and teenagers, to sing, to sing praise to God because He's worthy of that praise. Lift up your voice to Him. Can we not just sing to Him, but can we pray to Him when we pray to Him? Come to Him not only with your requests, 
the things that you desire, come to him as well with your praise. You say salvation and power and glory, they belong to you, O Lord. O Lord, the great things that you have done, and we praise God daily for who he is and what he has done. You tell of the Lord's praise when you speak to other people. Are you quick to make much of what God has done for you? Well, friends, that is their heavenly occupation. And might you and I as well take great delight, hallelujah, in what the Lord has done. Let's pray together. Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you that you are indeed a God who is worthy of all the praises of your people. Even now you are worshipped by angels and by your triumphant church. And we, as the church militant, would seek to raise our voices with theirs and to say, praise to you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Lord, make our lives a life of praise. We do pray, O God, that when we are downcast, saddened, when we are besought by many trials, that we would remember, O Lord, to praise you even then to rejoice that you are on your throne and fulfilling your good purposes and its purposes in which your people can delight. O Lord, when we are tempted by this world to think proud thoughts concerning ourselves, Lord, remind us that we are servants who are to fear your name. And Lord, that our highest privilege and occupation is to praise you. O Lord, our God, make us a people of praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name.